foreheads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to gather together like this as your family, as your adopted ones. We appreciate the privilege of having your word, having your spirit. Thank you for giving us the power to see things as they really truly are, as opposed to being deceived by the world. And Father, we ask that you bless the members of our congregation that couldn't be here tonight for whatever reason, especially those who are sick and struggling. And we ask that you increase their faith increase their confidence in you and their contentment and gratitude as you're teaching us by your spirit. And most of all, Father, we're grateful and thankful for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We are so thankful. Help us never forget or take him for granted. You did something unthinkable so that you could remove our debt far from us forever and ever. Father, please bless this message. Guide us by your spirit tonight. Help us see things spiritually and see things as they really are. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, and by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Okay, once again, sin deceives us away from gratitude for our healer slash deliverer. As we talked about on Sunday... We have a high percentage of church members here at NCC that have serious illnesses. And overall, I believe it's a good sign as we're doing the right thing in the devil's world, uh, we're pursuing God and his righteousness. And with that comes certain sufferings. We are willingly here for God's plan, not for our own. And with that comes some expected and even necessary suffering. We don't tend to think of it that way, but it is necessary to fulfill God's plan in many ways. As we also mentioned on Sunday, we could speculate on why we have so many illnesses. Uh, For example, are we suffering righteously, persecuted for following Christ? Are they simply thorns in the flesh as Paul was given to keep him humble as God revealed truth to him? Are we under discipline as a result of long-standing sin or disobedience in our lives? And by the way, the Spirit wanted to interject here that every son is disciplined by our Heavenly Father because the Father loves him. So don't get discouraged or condemned. If that's the situation, that's the situation. But discipline is out of love. So he wanted us to start with that reminder tonight to avoid condemnation. So go to Hebrews 12, verse 4, and let's read that nice reminder. In other words, who doesn't have discipline at times? The Bible says not one son goes without discipline. And that's actually a sign that you belong to him. Hebrews 12, 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood 
in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So that's actually good news, even though it's painful at times. It's actually good news. It's actually good, a good purpose, and love is behind it. So again, we could speculate on why we have so many illnesses in our small congregation, but that's not the emphasis of this series. One of the main emphases that came out on Sunday on the board is that sin deceives us away from giving gratitude to God for whatever good things we do have, including whatever health we do have. Sin deceives us away from giving gratitude. Sin discourages us and reminds us of what we don't have. And I was thinking of it kind of like the jealous friend maybe you had in school who's always comparing himself to you. You know, here you are with this blessing in your hand maybe. And because he's jealous, he says, well, look what I got. You don't have what I got. And that's kind of what sin does to us. Look at what you don't have. You know, I'm thinking about iPhone and all that stuff, right? Everyone's comparing and comparing. And a lot of times it's out of jealousy. And it could be out of jealousy in this case, too, because sin wants your attention. Sin wants you to follow it instead of follow Christ. So sin discourages us and reminds us of what we don't have, just like the serpent discouraged the woman in the garden. And sin tries to sway us away from abiding in gratitude for whatever it is we do have. All good things are from God above. And what a shame it would be to forget whatever good things we have in the moment. The things we take for granted, like it's going to come up again later in this lesson, but what about our senses? What about the five senses? Those things are actually miraculous. I mean, ask a blind person that never saw it before. But we're so used to it, most of us having it from birth, that we take for granted like it's no big deal. And they're all such gifts to be able to live life and enjoy life. So just think about that. Um, sin wants us to get us away from gratitude for even those simple but amazing blessings. And it's a trap that's very simple. This is not complicated. This is a simple, direct strategy of sin to, let us, to get us to stop being grateful. And it's also a big trap. It's a significant one in our spiritual lives. So for starters, as came out on Sunday, sin... He is a liar, remember. Sin wants to coax you into thinking God is unfaithful, that your deliverer has left you or forgotten about you, or even worse, that your deliverer hates you. Please, whoever's listening to my voice right now, do not buy this lie. Do not buy this lie. God is perfect. Read your Bibles. Keep reading it in context see and enjoy the love and faithfulness of God that you see in the Word and embrace those promises because sin wants you to think God doesn't love you anymore. If we don't tenaciously 
cling to the Lord on a daily basis, sin will wear us down over time. It will happen. And it wants you to believe that Christ's love for you as a believer can be extinguished. And it's going to try to wear you down on that front too, you know, over time. So may it never be that we buy that lie. And doesn't it make sense that one of the main things Satan would love to attack is the love of God? That is one of the main things he attacks. The love of God. Get you to doubt the love of God. Question the love of God. So expect that. And when sin gives you those evil thoughts, reject it immediately by faith. Hold up your shield of faith and say, you know what? That's BS. That's a lie. I'm not listening to that anymore as it starts flowing in your head. You know, these thoughts we start entertaining. Cut it off. And be like, nope. That's it. And if you need to bow in prayer immediately, do it. Open your Bible. Just start reading. Cut off those evil thoughts that attack the love of God. And as also came out on Sunday, even though sin and Satan are very powerful and very deceptive, let us remember, he who is in us, namely the Spirit of Jesus Christ himself, is greater than he who is in the world, that being Satan. 1 John 4, 4. This is another thing we must never forget. And I know you might know this academically. You might know this verse on the board. But in terms of your operational faith, we must never forget this. We must never give Satan and sin too much credit. Okay? Because they are real, uh, valid enemies. No doubt about it. But never, ever think they're close to the power you have within you as a believer. That could be a big mistake. So on the board, the only time sin can get the better of us is when we stop clinging to the Lord and His Word. That's the only time. Very powerful, sin is. Very powerful. But with the Word in your soul, with you clinging to the Lord and His Word, it doesn't hold a candle. The Lord is infinitely more powerful than sin or Satan. As we heard on Sunday, a Bengal tiger is no match for an F5 tornado. If you missed Sunday's message, you'll have to go back and listen to that wonderful analogy. I'm not repeating it, but you got the point, hopefully. The Lord is infinitely more powerful than sin and Satan. It's not even close. So let your faith cling to, to that. Cling to Him and for who He is. That that. that Greatness, you know what I mean? I mean, go back to the verses, if you need to, about the creator of the heavens and the earth, all that is seen and unseen. I mean, go outside and look up in the sky if you need to and say, all right, I'm overwhelmed again with your power. I can't, I can't fathom it. And Satan's just a little itty-bitty itty creature compared to what we see and what God's done. So the point is, Satan has no chance against the power and presence of God within us, inside of us. And we must never doubt that or forget that. The deception of sin is going to say otherwise to you, but as the Bible says, if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Just like I mentioned on Sunday, do what Jesus did in the desert. He kept quoting scripture back at Satan. He heard the lie. He heard the misquote from Satan, 
and he rejected it immediately with Scripture. It's the same idea. Don't accept those lies. 1 John 4, 4, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Period. So now back to our sufferings in this world. As we know, if we are reaping what we sow for bad decisions over the years, we know God our Father has a plan for both our growth and our deliverance. I hope to God everyone hearing right now, listening right now, believes that. God has a plan for our growth and our deliverance, even if it's something we deserve. And he's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, especially if you're on the side of Christ. All right? He can't leave you or forsake you. It's his very character and nature. He's perfect. But sin wants to discourage our faith and our deliverer. Take away our courage. Take away our faith. And faith in our deliverer includes gratitude for what we do have. When our gratitude fades, our faith fades too. Giving gratitude is vital or life-giving to our faith. I was thinking about the very process of giving gratitude. Going through that process. Because if you're going to give thanks, you actually have to pause and think about something, right? You actually have to pause for a minute and think about what you're being grateful for. That very process is what feeds our faith. That's why it's so good to just get uh, even a couple minutes alone time with the Lord, even on your busiest days, just to be thankful for certain things. Sin wants us to forget our deliverer and that he has already delivered us, especially in our spirit, and that he lives inside of us, for example. And he also wants us to forget, sin does, that God is going to deliver us one way or another by his faithful promises. On Sunday, we also talked about how deliverance is what God desires for his children. I mean, do we forget that? Do we lose faith in that? That God actually desires to deliver us in every way? As a good father, he really desires to deliver us in every way. Now that he has to hold back certain things, he has, he's doing something in us many times first, but that is his desire, to deliver his children. The proof is at the cross. So it's only a matter of timing. And also to experience deliverance in this life requires we keep the faith. In heaven, we're all going to experience perfect deliverance by the faithfulness of God alone. But on earth, it requires we keep the faith to experience it. And as many of you know, faith is often seen in the Bible as a prerequisite to deliverance and healing. The Lord himself often healed based on the faith of individuals. And he often didn't heal when there was a lack of faith. I mean, just read the Gospels. So we're going to see a couple verses on that right now. This is kind of another almost a side point in this series. No matter how hopeless the circumstance, our God can heal us if it's his will. But faith plays an integral part in that. 
And there's no way around that. They're connected. Matthew 13, 58, Matthew 14, 34 through 36, and Matthew 15, 21 through 28, just for a few examples right in a row. But you keep reading the Gospels and you'll see this over and over. So we know that our good Father, God, wants to deliver us. What stands in the way? And this might sound basic, but we lack the pure faith at times, especially as time passes by and we get discouraged in a situation. So let's start by turning to Matthew 13, verse 53. Matthew 13, 53. Again, the point on the board, no matter how hopeless the, the circumstance, our God can heal us if it's His will. But faith plays an integral part in that. Matthew 13, 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, He departed from there. He came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So again, apparently faith has a part in God's decisions to heal or not. Now as a balance statement, it still has to be God's will for someone's life, right? It might be God's will that someone endures through a situation for a while and it might not be the right time for healing or deliverance. So that is absolutely possible. But the fact is that faith has a direct connection to healing and deliverance. That is what uh, we might say God requires of us, of an individual. So if God has other plans... For someone to be in a situation for a while, we must accept that. He's wise and sovereign and righteous. He knows all the facts. But let's not let that be almost like an excuse for a lack of faith. And this is going to come up in a little while also. Don't let that be an excuse for a lack of faith. Um, lack of faith can hold back his healing. Uh, go to Matthew fourteen thirty four. Matthew fourteen thirty four. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all that surrounding district, and brought to him all who were sick, and they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were cured. Now in this passage, we don't see the word faith or believe mentioned anywhere. But that's exactly what is flowing out of these people. I mean, you've got to have a lot of faith to not even want Jesus to touch you. Just say, let me touch your clothes. 
and I know will be healed because it's you. So they were, te they were healed. So many were healed just by touching the Lord's garment. A beautiful picture of how faith is involved. And then in Matthew 15, go to verse 21. Matthew 15, 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. <laughs> the disciples, they did that more than once, didn't they? It's like, you know, she's annoying. Can we get rid of her? But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him and said, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. So here's a question to think about as, you know, we live our spiritual lives and, you know, we're discerning what's going on in our lives and we're living by faith and we're trusting the Lord. Do you have the persistent faith of the, this Canaanite woman? Do you have the persistent faith of this Canaanite woman? And by the way, if not, ask God for more faith, as we've seen. But do you have the persistent faith of this beautiful Canaanite woman. Jesus basically said no to her more than once. Maybe he was testing her faith or using her as an example for those who are observing. We don't know. But he said no to her more than once. So on the board, the Canaanite woman's faith. Even after Jesus' negative responses, she persisted, revealing she knew him as her Lord and Master and was willing to be the humble dog at his feet. And then the Lord eagerly healed her, healed her daughter, that should be. The Lord eagerly healed her daughter after she passed that faith test, we might say. An amazing scene. Do we have this type of persistent faith that the Bible says God loves? Loves it. Because you're relying on him. You're showing you're confident in him. That he can do it. So again, even after Jesus' negative responses, she persisted, revealing she knew him as her Lord and Master and was willing to be humble or the humble dog at his feet. And then the Lord eagerly healed her daughter. So here's something else the Spirit wants us to think about. And it's been quote-unquote, bothering my faith over the years on the board. Do you maintain the persistent faith of the Canaanite woman even while you say God's will be done? This has kind of bothered my faith over the years, like almost like not 
really being able to explain it. But do you maintain the persistent faith of the Canaanite woman even while you say, God's will be done? I know for me, because I always fall back on God's will be done, which is a good and righteous thing, I tend to lose faith that God can perform a miracle and heal any situation. And that's really not the right way to put it, because I do believe God can do that whenever he wants to. So maybe better said, I lose persistence in asking him for healing and deliverance sometimes, which we really should never lose. So, again, on the board, do you maintain the persistent faith of the Canaanite woman even while you say God's will be done in this situation? It's clearly good to accept God's will on a matter. That's beautiful. That's faith in itself. Accept God's will on a matter, at least whatever it is for right now, the time being. If it's better, Lord, for me to stay in this situation, I'm good with that. I'll rest in gratitude for all you've done and all you're doing. That's beautiful. But at the same time, I will not stop asking you because I know you're gracious, like this Canaanite woman. I know who you are, I know you're gracious, and I know you can heal any situation. I'm not going to stop asking. Just something to think about on the board. Part of God's will be done. We must never lose faith in our Lord and Master regarding our healing and deliverance, just as we must never lose gratitude. Sin wants us to, quote-unquote, give up on asking the Lord in faith. Sin wants us to give up on believing that He can and even wants to heal us and deliver us. Acceptance of God's calling upon us and faith in Him for deliverance go hand-in-hand as part of God's will in our lives. Again, on the board, part of God's will be done. We must never lose faith in our Lord and Master regarding our healing and deliverance, just as we must never lose gratitude. Sin wants us to give up on asking the Lord in faith. On Sunday, we read a passage about our promised deliverance as believers. And remember, our loving God wants to deliver us. And the Bible says he will one day. So first of all, we saw this on Sunday. Deliverance for the believer in Christ is guaranteed, whether it be on earth or in heaven. It simply depends upon God's perfect wisdom and purpose for our lives. So again, back to faith in the basics, we might say. But this is what the Word of God says. Deliverance for the believer is guaranteed. The only question is timing, purpose. That's up to God. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 10. God's will for your life and even God's will for how we leave this world will be different for each and every one of us. But you know the thing that's going to be the same? Deliverance. It's only a matter, again, of if, how, when. But that's up to His sovereign wisdom. No matter what, we believers will be totally delivered one day. But on the board, just think about this. Deliverance doesn't always take the form we want it to take. It doesn't always take the form we picture or envision. 
Many times it doesn't. God's like, I have a different way. My ways are different than yours. You'll see eventually, and you'll look back on it, and you'll see very clearly. But deliverance doesn't always take the form we want it to take, and we have to uh, be open to that also. But it is ultimately guaranteed to the believer one way or the other. Thank God. So go again to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read this passage in context again. Again, deliverance doesn't always take the form we want it to take, but it is ultimately guaranteed to the believer one way or another. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Now skip ahead to verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life like some of the members in our own church family are doing right now. And that's why we must keep them in prayer and not be occupied with ourselves. Again, Paul says we were burdened excessively beyond our own strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Three times. It's mentioned three times. So on the board, this came out on Sunday. Situations of death are actually a blessing in disguise because they cause us to truly set our hope in God alone. Sin has deceived us into hoping in other things, too. Who among us, honestly, hopes in God alone 100% all the time? Nobody. And I say this because not just, you know, you might have a nice, a beautiful faith. Many of you do. But back to the subtlety of sin, back to the deception of sin. There are things that we are doing in our mind, in our soul, that we don't even realize we're doing right now. Just like five years ago, now you see things you were doing then, five years from now you're going to see things you're doing now, and so on and so forth. So none of us have this pure faith, and that's what purification's all about, right? That's why God's refining us. He's like, I have to put you in situations that purify your faith, that make you trust in me alone, not where you think you're trusting in me alone. i got to put you in places where you literally have to despair of life so that you can, you, you can be refined in your soul, so that you can get that much more close to me, more intensely close to me. And here, Paul's faith was blessed by this desperate situation. How do you think Paul came out of this? 
Think about that. I mean, you read this, right? Verses 8 through 10, he despaired of life. Um, we had to trust in God who raises the dead because we knew we were dead, basically, is what he's saying. But he delivered us and will deliver us, and he's going to deliver us. What do, you, what do you think happened to Paul's faith after he came out of this? So we got to look at that big picture. Again, on the board, situations of death are actually a blessing in disguise because they cause us to truly set our hope in God alone. Sin has deceived us into hoping in other things too. Who honestly hopes in God alone 100% all the time? God must bring us really low at times for us to drop our self-reliance or drop relying on other people or certain systems we have in place. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's medicine. Maybe God, is again, wants us to drop our reliance on those things up here because we're leaning on those things for strength many times when we shouldn't be. What did Paul say in verse uh, 9? So that we would not trust in ourselves. That's why. And yet, from the bottom of the pit, and picture yourself right now in a literal pit, 20 feet deep, you can't get out of. No way. From the bottom of the pit, where you have no way out, God promises he will deliver us. One way or another. He could probably do it a million different ways. He might have water come up in the bottom of the pit and you float up to the top. I don't know. He might have a rope come down because an eagle flew by. He was building a nest, dropped the rope. The rope came down into your pit and it hooked on a rock on the way down. <laughs> I mean, I'm having fun, but seriously, he literally can do anything. He literally can do whatever he wants. He can have the wind blow. He can have the tornado scoop you up but plop you down, right? The Bengal tiger goes flying away. You're safe on the rock. But seriously, like we have to um, get to the point, and this is why God gives us these situations. So when we're in a, in a no-win situation, a no-way-out situation, we rely on him alone. He can deliver us, and he will deliver us. The only question is how. Even if you die in that pit, then he delivers you in heaven. The only question is how and when. Thank God for that through Christ. But that's a truth of God we must never lose sight of as believers. We shouldn't be walking around out there in situations of death and have despair as though we don't have a Savior who's already conquered. Like, that's not what we should be doing as believers. We should be resting in his resurrection. We should go read about that and be like, if, they, if, if he did that and God can do that, there's nothing he can't do. So being in Christ, we have been delivered and we will be delivered. It's just a matter of God's perfect timing. So we saw this as well, that by faith, with gratitude, we must look forward with contentment to God delivering us. Even if right now he's saying it's not the right time in your life. By faith, with gratitude, don't let sin take that away. We must look forward with contentment to God delivering us. Do you ever sit back and imagine God delivering you? Have you ever, like, you know, imagined what it will be like? 
why not? Why not go through that process and look forward with a smile, even from a, a bed where you can't move, look forward with a smile to his coming and delivering you however he chooses. And you can imagine those things. Maybe that's one reason God gave us an imagination. Maybe that's one reason God gave us dreams. Why don't we daydream about his guaranteed deliverance and how he's going to do it? And we know God always has his reasons, and that's the other thing we fall back on. So back to maintaining gratitude. Sin is urging us to throw gratitude in the garbage can, like it's a piece of paper that you don't need. You know what I mean? Just forget about that. Don't buy that lie, because it's vital to our spiritual life and our faith. As we learn from the Word of God, everything in this life is a privilege. Even life itself is a privilege. Even the things God asks us to suffer for Christ's sake, those are a privilege. Remember in Acts, in the beginning of the book of Acts, when the disciples got captured by the religious folks, right? And they got disciplined and they got whipped. And they left there after being whipped or lashed probably 40 times on the back, which was tradition. 39, whatever. Whipped 40 times on a bare back, and then you walk away rejoicing that you're able to celebrate for Christ's name. They realize what a privilege it was. They're like, wow, we know he's the Lord of glory, and we just suffered because we're following the Lord of glory. It's a perspective issue, isn't it? On the board. Life is a gift and a privilege. The whole thing. We don't deserve to be alive. And that's why, through it all, we're told to give thanks. Because whatever it is we're going through, it's plainly the will of God for our lives, at least right now. Or we wouldn't be going through it. God could have stopped it. Changed it. It must be part of God's will for our life. It must be a way to sanctification which we talked about and we're going to talk about again. But this perspective saves us. Life is a gift and a privilege, the whole lot of it. And that's why through it all we're told to give thanks because whatever it is we're going through, it's plainly the will of God for our lives, at least right now. Why exactly? Only God knows. But we'd be really wise to remember that God does know. He's not at a loss. He's not confused about what's happening. He has a divine reason for allowing things in our lives, even if they come from evil sources. And remember, too, as we talked about on Sunday, even what sin tricks us into, where we fall into a pit, God can lift us up out of that to his own glory. And he does. As we well know by now, God's will for us is directly stated in First. Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. In the NIV on the board, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Really, this whole phrase, verse 16, you know, 17, 18, it's really all one thought, as we've learned in the past. And it's God's will for our daily lives. This circle almost. 
this uh, process. Be joyful. Pray continually. Give thanks. Be joyful. Pray continually. Give thanks. And they're all really similar thoughts, if you think about it. They all involve one another. This process is God's will for your life. This is what he wants us to do on a daily basis. And you know what's funny? We obey this. We're actually happier at peace, at contentment, because we're grateful how God built us. So on Sunday, we talked about the base definition of sin being anything that doesn't conform to his will. The Spirit's given us this now for weeks. What more would sin like to attack than something that's directly stated as being the will of God? Just like Satan loves to attack God's love, sin loves to attack gratitude. Or this verse on the board. You get staying in this nice little cycle. We might call it abiding in a sphere of gratitude, right? Sin hates that and wants to get you the heck out of that because it's clearly God's will for your life. And on the board, we're giving in to sin when we stop being thankful for all things. Just think about it that way. Sin has deceived you if you stop being thankful for all things. We get a lot of deceiving to get out of, don't we? Who's thankful for all things? But this is the direction God's taken us. And he's like, if you go in this direction and keep going in this direction, it's going to be really good for you and really good for me. It's going to sanctify you. And sin is going to be less and less in your life. It's power. Our sin nature is lying to us continually. And it doesn't want us to finally see the blessings that are in disguise. Let's face it, we, you know, don't see the blessings in disguise right away, usually. Because we're in a tough situation, a painful situation. But sin doesn't want you to finally see clearly the blessings in disguise, even in a situation of death. Doesn't want you to see it. I had the privilege of talking to Frank yesterday. Um, for those of you that don't know, he, he, well, you do know he broke his hip a while ago. He had about six weeks of rehab, maybe it was four or five, in the nursing home rehab. Finally got home this past week. He's got a walker. He's walking slowly. He says, I'm walking like a turtle. I said, that's good, Frank. No more falls, right? He's using a walker. He's doing good. And he said to me yesterday on the phone, he said, I've never been happier in my life. Even before I was sick, I've never been happier in my life. Obviously, just supernatural thing that God has now revealed to Frank the blessings in disguise and his purpose for all he's been through, all the horrible, horrible, difficult situations he's been through. He sees the blessing in disguise now. It took years. He even said it. It took me. I didn't see it at first. I didn't accept it at first. But now that I've accepted it, and I know God's got me here for a reason, I've accepted that and believed that, I've never been happier. Sin's lying to us to try to get us to doubt God in those situations and to not be grateful. So be on guard for that. And the sooner we're on guard for that, the sooner we... uh, receive or accept God's wisdom on the situation, 
the sooner we're set free, the sooner we're at peace, and the sooner we're sanctified, too. So, this series is given to us by the Spirit to remind us of the right perspective on life and health and deliverance. And a question came up on Sunday also, what happens over time as we're called to endure a situation with no end in sight? What ends up happening to us when we're called to endure a situation where we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel? On the board, when the timing of deliverance isn't to our liking, we get discouraged. Sin whispers lies to us, like why are you holding fast your faith in the Lord? Why hasn't God delivered you yet? But the mature believer says, in my Father's perfect timing. You might want to remember that. You might need to repeat that phrase to yourself over and over when you're being tempted by sin to question God's timing and faithfulness in my Father's timing. In my Father's timing. So don't let sin deceive you over time. That's what he uses to wear us down. That's why we need the Word of God every day. We don't have the Word every day. What happens? Sin's henpecking at you every day. Sin's not going to leave you alone. So only the shield of faith is going to protect you from that deceiving you. It's another test. So again, when the timing of deliverance isn't to our liking, we get discouraged. Sin whispers lies to us. Why are you holding fast your faith in the Lord? Why hasn't God delivered you yet? But the mature believer says, in my Father's perfect timing. He has delivered me, he will deliver me, and he will yet deliver me, as Paul would say. Sin's strategy, even after you have a victory over sin, and especially after you have a victory over sin, be ready for a counterattack. And sin will continually try to discourage you from gratitude for your deliverer and his blessings in your life, making you look at what you don't have. As we talked about on uh, Sunday, we have pain in a certain part of our body and we forget that we can still see. And we lose our sight and we forget we can still hear, et cetera, et cetera. We forget what we do have that we don't deserve in the first place. We don't deserve our five senses. Why didn't God just have us all be born blind and mute and feel our way around? Try to bring glory that way. Maybe he loves us that much where he gave us these miraculous senses to enjoy and appreciate him. On the board, gratitude is one of the keys to staying in the will of God for your life. This is, uh, this is a big point. I mean, it's one of the keys. It's one of a handful of keys to staying in the will of God for your life. One of the keys to bringing God glory in your life. And sin hates the will of God being accomplished in your life. We talked about on Sunday, there's only so many things in the Bible that are clearly stated as God's will. It's not, you know... It's not an exhaustive list. So, for example, we saw how God's will includes our sanctification in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. We're not going to read this again, but it clearly says the will of God is our sanctification. Whatever it takes to sanctify us, therefore, that's God's will for our lives. 
Keep it simple. Don't try to do spiritual gymnastics. Whatever God deems necessary to sanctify us, that must be part of God's will for our lives. Accept it. Accept His divine wisdom. And regarding our sanctification, because we don't obey all the commands we're given, God gives us discipline to take us to sanctification. Because we're not humble enough to be taken there by pure obedience. Just something to think about. You're like, I don't need discipline. <laughs> All right, Lord, I don't, you don't have to be that hard with me. Or, you know, I don't need this test or, you know, take this away. And that's really, we're just speaking from our flesh, right? We don't want to lose anything. But let's face it. If we obeyed all the commands in First uh, Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, if we lived perfectly in those commands right there, yeah, he wouldn't have to do as much discipline. But none of us do. So because we don't obey all the commands we're given, God gives us discipline to take us to sanctification because we're not humble enough. That's what it comes down to. We're not humble enough to be taken there by pure obedience. But without a doubt, part of God's will for us is to be sanctified in this life. That was the point. As part of God's will, one of the things clearly stated. How about God's will includes obeying our authorities? We saw that in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. We're not going to read that again, but we read here clearly stated, it's God's will for us to obey our authorities and do what's right. Part of God's will, part of bringing glory to God, even in the devil's world. And then we have suffering as part of the will of God for our lives and knowing God has a purpose to remain in gratitude. Turn again to 1 Peter 4, verse 12. First Peter 4, 12. Looks like we're going to end right where we ended last time. We'll see. But the Spirit added in a few points and a few verses, and he's doing his, his magic. First Peter 4, 12, again, the point on the board. Then we have suffering as part of the will of God for our lives, and knowing God has a purpose to remain in gratitude. First Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God 
shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Do we trust the Lord no matter what sight tells us? In other words, on the board, will we abide in gratitude even when things aren't going our way? Even when things don't make sense, will we abide in gratitude? And when we have health problems, will we trust God and thank Him for what we do have? Again, look at verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. We saw this same verse in the Amplified Version. Therefore, those who are ill-treated and suffer in accordance with God's will must do right and commit their souls in charge as a deposit to the one who created them and will never fail them. As we uh, begin to close here, we only got a few minutes left. Another side note I shared with you on Sunday was an important principle that the Spirit brought up in our discussion. And it really wasn't in my notes per se, but it just kind of flowed to the top, so to speak. And that was that God gave me Scripture as a way of confirming whether my thoughts on what to teach were from myself or from the Spirit. Hopefully you remember that from Sunday. How else can you know other than by the Word of God giving you the exact answer at the right time? Now, sometimes we know by the peace in our convictions, right, in our conscience. But we just studied our conscience needs to be fed with the right information. So how else can you know that something is from God in your life, whatever it is, other than by the Word of God giving you the exact answer at the right time? Is there anything better than that? Is there anything more clear than that? Not really. I'm sure you've all experienced it if you're reading your Bibles on a regular basis. You know, right when you're thinking about something, praying about something, a situation happens, and it just so happens you're on the page in the Bible, as you're just doing your regular reading, you're on the page in the Bible that gives you a direct answer to what you just experienced a half hour ago. The Bible says the Spirit uses the Word, right? Jesus said, if you worship me, in John 4, those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. What does the Spirit use? the Word of God, and that's a confirmation. It's amazingly beautiful if we're humble enough to uh, go to the Word for the answers. So on the board, if we stick with the Word of God, the Spirit will use the perfect Word to answer our questions and even clarify our thoughts that certain ideas are from Him and not from ourselves. You remember I told you when the, that thought came in to teach on this, I really didn't want to. And I was asking God, you really want me to do this? And I wasn't sure in that moment if it was my own thought or if it was from the Spirit. And then a half hour later, I read my Bible, and boom. So <laughs> there's another reason to read your Bible every day, because that's how God works with us. He only reveals himself to the humble. He only reveals himself to those who seek him. Right? Isn't that what the Bible says? He's not going to reveal his treasures to those that don't really want it. 
and the tools he's given us are, are, are straightforward. It's not like a guessing game whatsoever. I've given you the word and the spirit. Are you going to lean on those provisions I've given you, like heavily? Are you going to lean on those and trust me, or are you going to do your own thing? Just like a father would say to a son, right? If you're going to do your own thing, okay, you're going to suffer, you're going to reap what you sow, and I'm going to have to discipline you. I can discipline you less if you just follow my word. Remember that letter I wrote you, son, that I told you what to do? If you just follow that, we're going to have a much better relationship, how I want it to be. But if you're stubborn, I have to train you up. A lot harder ways sometimes. But again, I guess we'll close here. If we stick with the word of God, the Spirit will use the perfect word to answer our questions and even clarify our thoughts that certain ideas are from Him and not from ourselves. Could there be anything more valuable and more personal than that? And that's our God for those who choose to obey. Amen? All right, let's bow. Father, we thank you so much for your word, so awesome, for your spirit, your faithfulness, and that greater is you who is in us than he who is in the world. We have nothing to fear. We have no reason to doubt, and we have no reason to give in to the sin nature. Help us lean on you more and more, Father. We thank you for the clarity of your word and your spirit, and we ask that you help us be humble before you more and more. And Father, please help us bring these truths out, these freeing truths out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.